everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Matan Bar, co-founder and CEO of Milio. Milio focuses on streamlining and simplifying B2B payments for SMBs. The company has recently achieved a $4 billion valuation with an investment round co-led by Thrive Capital and General Catalyst. Matan had previously founded The Gifts Project, an online group payments platform that was bought by eBay in 2011. Matan continued to work with eBay and PayPal until 2018 when he launched Milio. He's now working to make Milio the leading B2B payments company in the US. Matan and I discuss the startup landscape in Israel and the role the army has in creating a thriving startup ecosystem. How Matan's time at PayPal helped him build Milio, how Milio supports small business payments, and more. Hope you enjoy the show. So hi, Matan, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's an honor to have you on as a guest. Uh, how are you doing and where are you calling in from? I'm doing great and thanks so much for having me. I'm doing this from Tel Aviv, Israel. But, you know, in, in this new world, I guess uh, it doesn't matter much uh, where you're working from and where you're doing podcasts from. Uh, but very excited to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Of course. Happy to have you on. And uh, let's just jump right into it. So for guests that may not know, could you provide a little bit of uh, context on your career to date uh, and how you became involved in fintech? Sure, absolutely. So I started Milio three and a half years ago, more or less. And before starting Milio, I was uh, with PayPal, leading its consumer payments business globally. So anything related to friends and family payments, like paying back for coffee uh, or sending money to uh, my family abroad, was part of my group. We built products like the, the PayPal app, which we've uh, built from scratch and launched in uh, 200 countries, 25 languages, uh, PayPal.me, and, and various products that basically facilitate different money movement use cases between consumers. It was an incredible time, and I think most of uh, what I've learned about fintech, I think I've learned during these years, uh, that was the foundation, really, in terms of my knowledge to start Milio. Uh, and I was very grateful for my time at PayPal as I felt like I was at the right time at the right place. Consumers around the world were shifting from cash to mobile payments, and we were just there uh, helping these consumers digitize the way they pay friends and family. Uh, so it was really an incredible experience, which I feel very lucky to be part of. I joined PayPal through the acquisition of the first company that I founded back in 2009. It got acquired by eBay Inc. in 2012. Back then, PayPal and eBay were the same company. And the, the first company I founded was also in the payment space. It was a group payments company. We enabled people to buy items together online, uh, whether it's buying a, a registry item on Crate and Barrel together and have each friend pitch in for a gift, whether it's buying tickets on StubHub as a group. Back then, it was considered to be innovative to combine Facebook APIs and payments. So that was pretty cool. After three years, we sold the company to eBay when then I became the GM of a PayPal R&D center in Tel Aviv, uh, where I'm based, and led this global team that was responsible for consumer payments worldwide. In terms of education, I'm a computer science graduate uh, from Tel Aviv University and business management from Tel Aviv University. And I guess that's basically it. And let's just keep talking about uh, that last point a little bit. So. Israel has such a vibrant startup ecosystem. Um, for those who aren't aware, Israel is frequently referred to as startup nation. It has the highest uh, percentage of or highest tech startups per capita. I would love to get your thoughts on why you think there's so many successful startups and in particular fintech startups that are coming out of Israel right now. Yeah, 
It's a great question. I think different people will mention different reasons, but I'm happy to share my two cents, which is, I think there are a few factors that really drive innovation in Israel. The first one, and I can talk about my personal experiences, is the army. I've served in an intelligence unit in the Israeli army, and I've dealt with some really cutting-edge technology when I was just 18 years old. It was really irresponsible to give me so much responsibility at this age, to be honest. But that's how it works in the Israeli army. And when I was 19, I led a team of 25 engineers. I had no idea what I was doing. I was 19, uh, but the other guys were 18. So I was their team leader. I was the senior guy. So I think the army gives you an opportunity to truly deal with cutting edge technology at a very young age dealing with real problems, as you can imagine. And that provides you with a lot of skills and an incredible network because the smartest people in the country are coming to these intelligence units. So by the time you finish the army, when you're 21, you know a lot of really good people uh, to start a company with. And that's what I've done uh, with my first company. Uh, So the army is the first reason. The other one, I guess, is... um, I guess innovation comes when there are constraints. Uh, Constraints are probably the best catalyst for innovation. When you have uh, limitations, you need to be creative in order to overcome these limitations. It's true for many aspects of life. And I think Israel is a country with many limitations and many constraints. And I think Israelis, since the the country was, was founded, had to be very creative to overcome many challenges and many constraints that we've experienced over the last, since the company was founded, since 1948, really, uh, and and before. So I guess there's a lot of creativity. And maybe I'll say one last thing and then I'll I'll pause. But there's also something about the culture. And I'll risk by maybe overgeneralizing, because obviously there are many different types of people in Israel, but Israelis tend to be, I feel, very optimistic and very oriented to take risks, maybe then more than other cultures. I think when you, an Israeli entrepreneur, a typical Israeli entrepreneur is very optimistic. They are very best case scenario oriented, which sometimes comes with a real trade-off, right? But, uh, but it makes you be bold and try things without thinking about all the things that would go wrong because you're focused on all the things that can go right. And I think that's something that is many times a key theme across many Israeli entrepreneurs, maybe more than other cultures, but, you know, hard to compare. Uh, do you have any examples in mind of uh, being bold and trying things either with Milio or with like your prior company that you founded um, that you can kind of bring to life for us? I'm happy that you asked this question. I have a story from my previous uh, company, a short one, really. But, you know, when, when we um, built our group payments product, Without getting into too many details, you know, we came to eBay, um, to the CTO, and the CTO of eBay asked us a question. Can you handle 20 million users a day with your service? And we said, of course we can. We never handled more than 500. Now, this could have gone really wrong. So we were confident, and luckily, we were actually able to uh, fulfill the promise. And when we actually had this scale, it worked smoothly. But I think other people might have said, 
we need to check. Uh, we don't know. And we didn't say, we, of course, we didn't manipulate anything. We didn't say, like, we have a ton of experience with 20 million uh, uh, users a day. We, we were, you know, transparent about where we were at. We were seven people at the time. So, you know, you, uh, he could have guessed by himself. But we, we did show a lot of confidence that we have no problem handling this type of scale. And luckily, we were right. So I think that's that's one example that, that I had in my career. Yeah, that provides that gives me like a flashback of, of Bill Gates selling a PC before he actually had one made. Um, so funny story there. Yeah, I, I think there's um, uh, believing in your future self is a very important trait as an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. things are always difficult, always complicated, and you need to believe in your future self or in your future company to be able to handle these challenges. It, it's really a, a must-have quality for, for many entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So let's switch now to talking a bit about Milio. Um, and could you just start by giving an overview of, of what the company is working on and what products you've launched to date? Sure. Milio is a B2B payments company that lets small businesses pay the suppliers and vendors and contractors that support their business. So we enable a restaurant owner to pay their coffee bean supplier and tomato supplier. We let a startup pay their Amazon Web Services uh, bill and their catering service and their rent. Every business relies on many other businesses to run their business. As a company, I think we pay around 350 different contractors and suppliers from the cleaning service to Amazon Web Services to Facebook where we advertise. We get a lot of bills or invoices to pay. And that's the beauty of starting a company in 2021. You have so much infrastructure and services that you can use in order to focus on what you need to focus on and let other businesses help you with the things that are not core to your business. So Milio, in short, helps businesses pay other businesses. The cool thing was that I didn't realize that B2B payments in the U.S. specifically are so behind consumer-to-business payments, online retail, and consumer-to-consumer payments. You know, when you look at how consumers pay other consumers, they use Zelle, Square Cash, Venmo. Everybody are using their mobile app to pay their friends. When you look at how consumers buy online, they use Shopify, Stripe, PayPal. It's being digitized at an accelerated pace, especially during the last year and a half. And then when you look at how businesses pay for inventory, how they pay for services, it's just shocking to discover that it's still very much paper-based. So I'm talking about paper checks and paper invoices, and there are currently in the U.S. around $14 trillion of paper checks that are being transferred between businesses every year. That's a crazy number. And when I started Milio, I remember interviewing small business owners. I went to this restaurant in Brooklyn where the business owner was like this cool guy. He was super savvy. He paid friends with Venmo and he had like a point of sale, uh, like with rotating iPads by Square, you know, super savvy. And then the same guy went to their back office in the restaurant and licked stamps and stuffed envelopes to mail checks to a supplier. And it's the same person. So that got me intrigued, uh, as you can imagine. And I realized there's a huge space still that was not digitized and is extremely inefficient and hurts small business owners with their ability to keep their business in business. Uh, so 
that's how we started the company, and that's how we decided to build the product that helps businesses move money between themselves and the businesses that support their business. And so before Milio like, comes to the scene, all of these small businesses are using um, paper products or writing handwriting checks to make their payments. Can you paint the picture of what the process looks like after Milio is there? Is it similar to you know, like a Venmo transaction? Sure. So there are two unique things that Milio brings to the table. One is Milio created an experience that is almost like a Venmo for B2B. But most tools that existed before Medio that help businesses pay other businesses were mostly designed for finance teams and finance professionals. These tools are called accounts payable automation solutions. That's the name of the category of tools that are supposed to help a business pay their suppliers. Accounts payable automation solutions. Think about like, what a terrible name. Uh, for, for a category, like accounts payable automation solutions. Accounts payable is an accounting term that is defining the money out of a business. And automation is a value proposition that probably resonates really well with the CFO of Nike that has like tens of thousands of payments um, a week. And so automation is obviously important to achieve operational excellence and decreased costs. But when you're a wine shop owner and you have, let's say, 100 payments a month, Automation is not that big of a deal. And accounts payable is a term that frightens me. Like, I'm not an accountant. I'm not a bookkeeper. I'm not a CFO. I'm a wine shop owner and I love wine. That's why I opened a wine shop. Uh, and I do the payments. I don't, I can't afford a CFO for a wine shop. So I do the payments as the owner or I have a trusted employee that does it for me, like, I don't know, an office admin. And so I need a completely different experience. So what Milio did in very simple terms, we said, we won't use fancy accounting terms and finance terms. We'll create an experience that is as simple as Venmo, but still addresses critical business needs, like syncing with your accounting software with QuickBooks or helping you with reconciliation or helping you capture the bill information easily by taking a photo of the bill. There are like quite a lot of functionality that makes a B2B payment more than just a payment. The B2B payment is a workflow. And we support this workflow, but in a very simple way. So simplicity was key uh, for our success so far. And getting to a simple product is very complicated because you need to really understand the product needs and your, your customer in a super accurate way. So simplicity is one thing. And the second thing is, instead of focusing on automation, which really, there isn't a single small business owner that cares about automating their back office. What they do care about is cash flow, especially in the past year and a half. And so Milio, beyond creating the most or the simplest experience in the market for B2B payments, we also focused on things that small business owners care about, cash flow being the first one. So we help businesses with their cash flow needs, with handling financial volatility that obviously got more severe and frequent over the last year and a half, and focus less on automation because that's a value prop that resonates more with these larger businesses. So cash flow and simplicity made us one of the fastest growing payments companies in the US today. Actually, can we keep talking a little bit about that cash flow point? So are you advancing money to these startups and, and taking a, uh, like a percentage cut of that afterwards? Or are you, is it just the process is so much easier now through Milio that the payments are coming in faster or, or something else? Both are correct. And uh, I can give you a few examples, but there are multiple ways where 
you can help with cash flow. But the basic notion is that in every business transaction, there are two sides, the buyer and the supplier, and they do not share interests. One side, the buyer, wants to pay as late as possible. The vendor, on the other side, the payee, wants to get paid as fast as possible. So one side wants to pay slow, the other side wants to get paid fast. That's usually the case. And the interesting thing, and that's obvious, but the interesting thing is that it dictates different payment preferences for each side. So for example, the restaurant owner would love to use their American Express card because they'll get points and it will defer the payment until the next credit card bill. However, the fish supplier will never accept the card. They don't want to pay the 2.9% fee and they don't even have the energy to go through the setup process of setting up a merchant account. So, and that's true, by the way, for many suppliers. In B2B, card acceptance is super low. There are very few suppliers that accept cards. Most accept checks or bank transfers. So we as media, we said, okay, how about we create a mechanism that decouples the way buyers pay and suppliers receive? Basically create like this middle account where we let each side to pay and get paid the way they want. So that if the restaurant owner wants to pay with their Amex, they can swipe their Amex uh, or enter their card number, we'll charge the card. And then if the fish supplier only wants a paper check, we'll mail a check on their behalf. The supplier, the fish supplier won't even know how the buyer paid, but the buyer got points. They paid the fee also, but it was worth for them because it deferred the payment. They got the rewards and the supplier got the check. So both sides are happy. There are so many more combinations like this. Uh, this example showed how we help buyers defer a payment by, I don't know, 30 days until their next credit card bill. That's one example, uh, but there are more. I think moving money in the US or speed matters. Right now, a bank transfer in the US can take two, three business days. It means that if you have a due date in three days, you need to pay today so that the money arrives to the vendor on the due date. Milio built a technology to move money instantly or same day, and we take risk. Uh, there's real machine learning models behind this very simple action, uh, but we're able to let buyers pay on the due date and the funds will be delivered to the supplier on the due date, same day. That means that the buyers can pay later. That helps with cash flow. And there are 10 other examples, but I'll, I'll pause here. But at the end of the day, letting buyers pay later, letting suppliers get paid faster, that's how you let or help with cash flow for both sides. Mm -hmm. and, and you've brought this restaurant example to life very well, but I'm curious, like what other, what are the typical customers for Emilio? Is it, is it a lot of small, like small restaurant owners or are there, is it cross industry? I think we're very lucky that when we build the product, uh, when we initially launched the product, we realized that this is a, a truly horizontal offering that can attract many types of industries. So our, the, the user base is extremely diverse in terms of industry. So we have everything from medical clinics to construction, to restaurants, to retail, brick and mortar, online e-commerce, uh, logistics, and, and auto body shops, like you name it. The, there is a similarity, though. The, the similarity across uh, industries is that we are targeting the businesses that don't have a finance team. So it's either the owner or a trusted employee that is doing the light bookkeeping and light payables, there's always an external accountant. There's always an external bookkeeper that supports the business. But within the business, there isn't a CFO. 
or a real fight instinct. That's the, the main uh, similarity across all of our customers. But industry-wise, we have everything, really. And the fact that you are so cross-industry, I'm sure, has helped is part of the reason for your uh, incredible success to date. Uh, I'm referring specifically to the recent $4 billion valuation that you've achieved, uh, which tripled your previous valuation. Uh, so congratulations on that. I'm sure the road wasn't always that quite so smooth to get to that point. Are there any like specific examples you can think of of challenges you faced along the way to get to, to where you are now? Sure. So I think the important part, at least for us, was really to make sure that we don't move from one goal to another in terms of our personal satisfaction. Like it's really the journey that we optimize every day. It's very frustrating to get to an objective and then be done with it and then wait another year for the next objective. So I think building a lifestyle, building a, a, a team, a culture, an organization that you truly enjoy being part of is the secret for resilience. And uh, it's that and working on something that you care about. And these are two things that were my guiding principles when starting the company. And these are the two main things that are my guiding principles today. You have to work on something that you care about, because if you're going to build a company uh, for 15 years, uh, if you don't care about the problem that you're solving, you won't be resilient, no matter how strong of a character you have. It's just it just won't work. And if you don't like the people that are surrounding you, then that's a problem as well. So. We had, every day we have challenges, but I feel very grateful that I feel like there are incredible people around me that I'm really support me with each of the challenges and I support them and then it feels easier. And second thing is we truly feel, and especially during the last year and a half, during COVID, more than a year and a half already, we found ourselves to be in a place that was more valuable than ever before. We didn't plan for a pandemic. We didn't plan to be on the side that, uh, in a way, accelerated its success during the pandemic. We had so many customers that closed shop. We had so many people that are surrounding us in our personal life, in our business life, that you know had like a terrible year and a half. And we found ourselves to be in a place that was more important than ever before to small business owners supporting them with the more frequent challenges they had with cash flow and the fact that they had to shift digital altogether. And we took this very seriously, this responsibility. And when you feel like you're so important for so many people, like these day-to-day -day challenges seem tiny. So yeah, there are challenges every day. I, I, can't, I can give you the top 100 or top 1,000 from the last uh, two months. Uh, there, there are quite a few, but I guess resilience comes from a mission that you relate to and people that you relate to. And and so I don't have like one example to give you where, you know, there was like a crisis. It never felt like a crisis. We're a team and we're working on something important. So it makes other stuff look small. Yeah, that's a, that's an incredible answer, uh, especially in supporting small businesses during the past, let's say, two years. With your recent uh, round of funding. I'm sure you have big designs for, for where Milio is going to go next. I would love to hear some of your thoughts on growth, whether that's product growth or geographic growth or, or anything else. Oh, wow. This is, um, 
This is so exciting. We, we are actually, uh, the entire leadership team is, uh, is going to meet uh, next week. Hopefully, we'll see how it goes because they're supposed to come to uh, Israel this time. And with new COVID restrictions, I don't know if it would be possible. But um, we're supposed to finalize our strategy and plan for uh, the next year and the next three years. And we've done a lot of homework. Uh, the off-site is just a way to converge on these plans. Unfortunately, I can't share many of the things that we'll discuss there. But what I can say is that there's something that is much bigger that is happening, bigger than B2B payments or paying vendors. And that's the fact that B2B commerce is coming online. Uh, and it's, it's following online retail and it's following consumer-to-consumer payments. Wholesale buying and B2B purchases in general are coming online in many different types and forms, uh, from B2B marketplaces to wholesalers that start an online shop to accounting software that, start, that are starting to be more and more interested in offering um, complementary offerings around supplier payments to their customers, to neobanks and, and vertical SaaS companies. There are so many types of companies that are contributing to bringing B2B commerce online. And Milio sees itself as a very important component in all of that. One of the things that I feel is most exciting right now about Milio is the fact that Milio is becoming more and more of a platform. Think about like, I don't know, for just the, the shortest way to describe it uh, is Stripe for B2B. We're really building uh, many new capabilities to enable partners, to enable payments for their customers in the B2B space. B2B is a unique space that requires unique technological capabilities and Milio is uh, building a truly incredible, robust platform to enable any partner, any company that wants to enable B2B payments for their customers. And I think that that's something that hopefully you'll see uh, many indications of during the, the next 12 months as we support more and more partners. Some were announced like Capital One and QuickBooks where in, they're integrated our capabilities, but there are many more to come. Yeah, you have me excited to see what comes next uh, for Milio. Let's let's continue zooming out a little bit. Uh, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on the fintech industry overall and any other sectors that you're particularly excited about um, for the next three to five years. Yeah, so when I left PayPal to start Milio, I was asking myself which space I would like to operate in. And yeah, I had my guiding principles, uh, as I've mentioned earlier, but one of the things that I was sure about is that I want to be in fintech. And the reason is that you know, during PayPal, I, I learned the importance of financial inclusion and democratization of financial services. I led a team, I didn't mention that before, I had a small team that was responsible for building products for the underbanked and unbanked population in the US. And this was a life-changing experience to me because I, I realized how important it is to build tools to serve the underserved and to include more people, at that time it was consumers, in the financial system because there are so many people across the U.S. that just don't have access to traditional financial services. 
And the cool thing about technology is that it can truly, and it is truly, creating financial inclusion. Whether it's uh, fancier machine learning underwriting models that rely less on a credit score and rely more on other data that is sometimes even stronger than a credit score, or whether it's just making things more transparent and accessible uh, as opposed to many like old school financial tools that are trying to hide fees and hide terms and talk in fancy terms intentionally so that people don't really understand. And then you have these fintechs like, I don't know, even Affirm and Klarna and Stripe and Shopify that gives you such transparency around what you're paying and what you're not paying for and such accessibility so that the user experience doesn't look like a, a terrible online banking experience. It looks like Airbnb and that's much better. And that's what customers and consumers and small business owners expect. So fintech helps with financial inclusion, accessibility, transparency. You know, I'll end by saying something very trivial, but true. Money is important to people. And when you make money better, it makes a real impact. So even by a bit, you make money faster, you make money a bit cheaper, you make money more accessible. It has such an incredible impact on people's lives. So I'm a huge advocate of the fintech industry. I think we're, the, the mission statements of, and the vision of many companies are truly doing good for the world. And I'm proud to be in this space as well. With such a good answer, I'm almost sad to ask this next question, but uh, I always like asking it, uh, which is, are there any sectors within fintech that you think may be a little bit overcrowded or that you're a little bit bearish on right now? Mm, yes, that definitely. I think there are, there are some areas where network effect has a very significant role and it already happened. Like, you know, starting a company in, in consumer to consumer payments right now is going to be hard. You know, with Venmo and Square Cash and Zelle uh, dominating the, the, the market, you know, having a new company enter this space, it's almost like a new social network. Like, it's, it's going to be hard. There's a real moat for, for these companies. So, I wouldn't recommend starting a company at this time, but you know you need to be romantic and you can always think that you can win the existing players, but they're doing a really good job as well. Like I think Venmo is creating a great experience, Square Cash also, really world-class experience. So crowded and real network effects, so going to be very hard. That's one. I think the, the, the other is um, potentially um, also merchant services. So enabling online checkout, online retail received so much focus in the past five to 10 years. And it feels like there are really good solutions, at least in the US, there are quite a lot of merchant services or online checkout solutions. There's always room for innovation, but I wouldn't do more of the same. That's for sure, because um, it's, it's pretty crowded and these are pretty good solutions across Stripe, Shopify, Braintree, Square. Um, you know, these are pretty good, but there's room for innovation. There's room for creating variant on this. So, um, but, but not, not more of the same. That's for sure. You're probably the first guest I've had that didn't answer crypto to either of those last two questions, which I appreciate <laughs> because, uh, it's nice to get some, some unique perspectives on here. The last yeah. thing I wanted to do today was, uh, enter a rapid fire round of questions. Uh, we're hoping to get answers here in five seconds or less. Uh, are you ready to go? Yes. Let's do it. Uh, could you describe your ideal day? Spending time with my family in the morning, going to work with my incredible team, 
spending time with my friends in the evening. That sounds great. Family, work, yeah. friends. Yeah. Uh, do you have any hidden talents? I played soccer professionally for many years. It's not very hidden because I try to talk about it in any occasion that I can, including this podcast. Amazing. What was your dream job as a kid? Was it, was it being a professional soccer player? Yes, absolutely. I wanted to be a professional soccer player, but in Israel, people like soccer much more than they are good at playing it. <laughs> I think that's true in most places. Um, what is your most prized possession? Wow. Can I say my family or is it too, like, uh, like, uh, it's just, it's too cute. Does it have to be realistic? <laughs> no, we can, we can go with family. That's, that's a great answer. Um, all right. Okay. Last question. And you can take a little bit longer on this one. Uh, what does success look like for you and for Milio? This is the quarterly all hands slides that we start with, uh, every quarter. And it has three answers. One is become the leading B2B payments company in the US. The second is build a workplace we all feel proud of. And third, make sure that we build capabilities that will enable the quality that we provide today and the hometown feel even when we scale or continue to scale to millions of, of customers. So these are the three things that we talk about on a daily, yeah, almost daily, but on a quarterly level in an all hands, that's how we start the meeting. And it's about the process and, and the outcomes, as I mentioned before. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap it up. Um, but I, I really look forward to watching what Milio does next. Uh, it was incredible having you on the show today. And thank you so much for joining us, Matan. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Wharton Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.